Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, August 27th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and continue to connect the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 11. We started the great faith chapter yesterday with Pastor David Hines, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, and Sarah. And today we hear even more of the saints before us that believed in the promise, and it was counted to them as righteousness on account of our Lord Jesus. And in these last days, we understand that Hebrews tells us that the Son still speaks to us, and so he speaks to us today, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Sam Powell of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Jefferson City, Missouri. Pastor Powell, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good to be with you. Pastor, this is our first time together. I know you've been on the program in the past, and you're busy. You're a pastor of a church and a school. So can you tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Pastor Sam Powell. I've served at Trinity since August of 2010. Mm. I've been blessed immensely um, during my time here. Um, my wife and I found out the week that I was installed that she was expecting um, our first child, and we've been blessed with um, three children since we've been here. And so it's one of the wonderful joys of being a pastor at a church with a school that my kids are um, down the down the stairs from my office. I have a first grader here at Trinity, a third grader, and a fifth grader now. So uh, we just started school this last week. Um, and so this is our first full week of school. So it's a, a wonderful joy to have that opportunity to be in the building with them, see them in chapel, um, and enjoy um, that extra opportunity to be with my family. In fact, my wife is down the stairs as well, uh, substitute teaching today uh, for the first time this year for a full day. Um, and so been blessed immensely um, here at Trinity, um, serving the saints here. We have about 260 kids in our school in grades K through eight. And so, Pastor, tell us, you, you alluded to it, and I'm always intrigued with this because I, I serve at a parish without a school. I've never been part of a Lutheran school. Tell us the great joys of being a pastor and to have a school in the same place. It is just a, um, a wonderful opportunity to gather together so often around the Word of God. Uh, it, when I got here in 2010, it was just several weeks before school started, and so very quickly, my day was filled with greeting the kids in the morning, teaching confirmation class in the morning. I teach uh, for about 50 minutes a day, three days a week. Um, we have chapel once a week. Um, I'm in the classrooms. I eat lunch in the cafeteria um, fairly often, um, wander through the halls. So there's it's kind of constant motion, maybe constant chaos as well. Um, and it's a whole lot of fun. Um, to to be around the kids, to hear them do their memory work, to get invited by the sixth grade teacher to do questions and answers with Pastor Powell. Um, they might be covering a subject and they say, Pastor, we'd like to have you here. The kids have a lot more questions um, that we'd like for you to answer. 
um, or to be called on to talk with a family that's maybe experienced a loss that they don't have a church home and they need to hear um, hear what God God's word has to say in the midst of struggles and turmoils. Uh, it, it's just a joy to have that much of an opportunity to partner with families. Um, you know, we're not there to be the children's parents. We're there to share God's word with them and support parents and families um, in a, a chaotic world and to provide a, 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 a wonderful spot for their children to be, to grow in God's word and to, to help parents and families. What a blessing. Thank you for sharing that. And, and a reminder to our listeners, when part of the reason I ask about the ministry is, number one, it reminds us of how the church um, goes beyond our own walls. It goes beyond our own city into other parts of the country and across the world. And also it's a call to prayer for you to pray for Pastor Powell and, and his associate pastor and all the teachers and his children and all the children that are there. I remember my father uh, as a pastor, and he served at a church with a school towards the end of his ministry ministry. And one of his great joys, he said, is I used to walk down the halls in the church I grew up at with no school and there's nobody there. But when I am able to walk down the halls now, um, I have three, four kids who are willing to hug me every single day. And so that is just one of those small little joys that you pick up along the way. Is that, is that a true thing, Pastor? Absolutely. In fact, um, I stopped by my wife's uh, classroom where she's substitute teaching today. And I had, I was delivering a uh, some some coffee and lunch to my wife and one of the little girls in the second grade classroom came up to me and one of the things she says to me nearly every time I see her is thanks for baptizing me pastor pal and I most kids don't do that but it's a wonderful fun little reminder of the connection that I have with her and how much this young little girl values God's gifts um, that he's given to her and having the school means I get to see that all the time. Wow. So once again, that is, is such a joy. Thank you for sharing. And, and as we're here, we're here to study God's word and the gifts that he gives to us. So pastor, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessing in prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of life, we rejoice over the many blessings that you pour out upon your people, most especially the gift of your son. Help us now as we study your word together, that we might look to your word as a constant source of, source of wisdom, comfort, and peace. Knowing that in the pages of the Holy Scripture, we have the story of Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen, and ascended for us and for our salvation. Bless this time together that we might always look to you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor, Hebrews 11 is a very well-known chapter, and we're splitting it up into three different sections just so we uh, take the time to meditate and to chew on this wonderful chapter because it speaks about faith. In the first 12 verses, which we covered yesterday, it speaks about um, main figures that we, can, that we realize in Scripture. And today, um, we continue with that same theme, but obviously there's always a little bit different twist almost in every verse, it also points us to Christ. So why do you want to start us off today with any background or introductory thoughts that will help us out this morning? Well, I think you did a, a great job, Pastor, at the very beginning of our time together, kind of highlighting where you were last time as you went through Hebrews chapter, the beginning part of this section of Hebrews. 
because you have this listing of people. You have um, you have Abel, um, you have Enoch, you have Abraham, you have Sarah, and you have this, we'll say this setup in this by faith chapter. And this setup kind of drives us forward into saying, okay, this is what has happened with all of them. And now verse with the, verse 13 and following, you have the kind of wrapping up what all that meant that they lived by faith. And, and I've often said, I use the book of Hebrews when I teach um, confirmation, when I do catechesis with both adults and with young people, um, because Hebrews 11 is provides us this wonderful emphasis over how the saints of the Old Testament lived their lives by, by faith in the same way that the saints of the New Testament and we do as well today live by faith, understanding how they were saved. You know, I know, Pastor, you know the, the common misconception. One of the biggest misconceptions about the, the scriptures is that somehow the Old Testament provided a different mode of salvation. Uh-huh. Such a common thing for people to look at people like like Noah or Moses or Abraham or Isaiah, and you look at these Old Testament figures that we know so well and somehow look at them as somehow having earned their salvation. And then people today take it and apply it and they look at that person that they see that seems like they're the perfect Christian that somehow they're earning their salvation. And Hebrews chapter 11 does a a magnificent job of dispelling, dispelling that, um, that error. Um, We live by faith, Um, faith in the only son of God, Jesus Christ. And so what we have in the opening part is who were these old Testament people that, that certainly lived amazing lives filled with richness and wonder. And now what does that actually mean? How does that get applied? And I like, I like the connection that you're making with our misunderstanding of the old Testament to the new Testament. And we often will see it as I guess you say two covenants, if I can say Mm -hmm. it that way. Um, some people would say, well, Old Testament law, New Testament gospel. And that is way too simplistic and, and does not give us the Christ-centeredness of all of Scripture, obviously. But one thing that I think chapter 11 helps, too, is one time I was working at camp during my college years, and one kid says, okay, so we know that we are saved by the blood of Jesus now. But what does that mean for those of the Old Testament? And I remember just like, uh, I don't know, you know, let me get back to you. That's a, that should be the common pastor's line, right? Or uh, any Christian, if you don't know, don't try to make it up. Just <laughs> say, I better research this and come back. And it, it, chapter 11, I think, really helpful to realize that it's always been faith in the promise of a Messiah. I mean, from beginning to end, it was always from that. Those who were waiting for the Messiah, those who saw the Messiah, and for us, as we know, the Messiah has come and is coming back. And I think chapter 11 really hits home. Any any thoughts on on that, addressing that kind of question? Oh, a- absolutely. I think um, the, the way you explained it is so helpful, um, especially for new Christians. Um, the saints of old, long time ago, were waiting for a Messiah. 
someone like Abel, someone like Sarah. Um, and these were all sinners in need of redemption. And then you had those, those unique Christians, the first Christians like Peter and, and John, who got to actually walk and see the Messiah, not always fully understanding who he was in front of them, certainly struggling with that. And then as the New Testament continues onward, those Christians the ch- of the church at Colossae, the church at Rome, who were now waiting for the Lord's return and living by faith. Um, it, again, every single person I named, a sinner in need of redemption. So as we look at this text, I think it's good for us to uh, dig in. Are you ready, Pastor? Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. So let's open up our Bibles and let's get started. Verses 13, and we'll go through verse 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And you know what, Pastor, I'm going to stop there. Because I think that verse is very important for us to unpack. Because it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. That can be misinterpreted. What are your thoughts on, on chapter verse 13 as it talks about the saints of old? Oh, absolutely. Um, they died in faith, not having the things promised. And, you know, of course, in a modern materialistic world, People might say, well, what is it things promise? The, the earthly blessings, the earthly blessings, some form of a reward. Well, no, what's it talking about? The things promised were uh, saying that they the Messiah had not yet come. And, and that's the way when we see the promise spoken about. The, what was the promise of the Old Testament? That the Lord would return. Uh, that, that, that Jesus would come. The Messiah would come. The Messiah who'd not been yet named. Um, but the one that they were looking forward to that um, this is this is talking about Genesis chapter three and and the first gospel. Um, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles here on earth, this idea that um, we we live in this foreign land, this broken land with sin all around us. and we can really apply very well chapter 11, verse 13 to our own generation. I think of, um, I, I make the comment to, uh, you know, we have uh, in our churches many times, um, the, the most common table prayer is often what Lutherans refer to as the common table prayer, you know, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And it's, it's this strange thing because I, I, I talk to my confirmands about it, adults and children, and say we've taken a prayer about Jesus coming back at the end and turned it into a, a table greeting. Right. And that's not a bad thing. But I say that one day Jesus is going to, we're going to pray that prayer. Some kid's going to sit down at the lunch table somewhere and pray, come Lord Jesus. And that's going to be when he is going to return. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to be lunchtime. It's going to be the time that's been promised. So yeah. the saints of the Old Testament were, were waiting for a Messiah. They were looking. They were eagerly awaiting. They were desperate for the Messiah to come. 
and where are we today? You know, I sit here looking at the world around us, as has every generation, and looked and prayed, come Lord Jesus. You know, we want his return. Um, I, I had a, a funeral yesterday for a dear saint of God, just a gem of a man. Um, what was his prayer? To see the Lord. Um, and he died before the Lord's return. Now he has many blessings, but we're all waiting still for our Lord's return on the last day when he comes again in glory. Um, so I think Hebrews eleven thirteen is just this wonderful way to start out that the thing that's promised is the Lord's return and it will happen. Um, but some will, some died before Jesus came. And there are those of us who are living now who are waiting and maybe we will see him um, before our death. And we may pass and um, the next generation may be the one that sees him. It, 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 that's a great connection as far as the prayer we use. And here, speaking about, you know, uh, I, I struggle I struggle at times with the hymn, you know, um, I'm but a stranger here, heaven mm-hmm. is my home. But it, it definitely alludes because, you know, we want our hope to be in the final resurrection. Um, but at the same time, there is that exile, strangerness of living here now that when we do pray, you know, Lord, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. It is a good prayer for us. Lord, come quickly, we will say often in the church. Mm-hmm. And so as they had not seen Christ and the promise there, we have not seen the second coming. So we are similar in that way because we have faith in the same Messiah. And so I love how that language is very helpful because if we made it sound like everything was perfect here, which it isn't, we, we would always be sorely disappointed. But like your, your blessed saint that you brought up, you know, uh, Lord, come quickly is really our prayer for, for Abraham and for us. So we're united in that sense. Any, any last thoughts before we move on? Oh, I think we're good. All right, let's keep moving here from uh, verses 14, and we'll go through 16. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Pastor, these verses speak about homeland, a city, um, the opportunity to return. I mean, it can be kind of confusing. What's the homeland? What's the city? How would you break that down? I, I think homeland is, a, is a, it's an okay translation there. Um, it, it is probably better, better to understand that using like this fatherland, this connection to, um, to the creator. Mm. Um and, and I, the creator and the creation and, and even connecting that go back farther to um, the father and the creation in the garden. Um, and that helps us even better understand when we talk about being strangers and exiles, um, where was Adam exiled from, from paradise and perfection um, and their exile. They were, they were removed from the garden and barred from returning. Yet we talk about how um, there, there will be a, a paradise restored. Um, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a St. Louis graduate. And so I was blessed to have Dr. Um, Dr. Gibbs as one of my professors. Um, and even Do- and Dr. Lessing, both of them emphasize this idea of the creation being renewed and restored and just the amazing blessings there. And so when we talk about the fatherland there, I think you, when we see homeland, look at fatherland, because it connects us back to what God did in the beginning. So they are seeking the fatherland, the homeland, this connection, this richness of what they had, um, the perfect nature, which you remember the, when we think about um, people being exiled, we also think of the Exodus and they're, they're, the people of Israel are stuck in Egypt and they grumble. And what are they seeking? Just anything that's better than what they see in front of them, they think. They're like, hey, why couldn't we go back to Egypt? Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're looking at it through sinful, broken eyes and they see sin and brokenness and they say, hey, that sin and brokenness over there is better than the sin and brokenness I have in front of me. When we, when we think about the fatherland, the homeland, we're thinking about creation restored, renewed, um, so much more than that. Um, but, that, but verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Um, again, you know, you referenced uh, the I'm but a stranger here. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there's some struggles with that hymn and how we properly understand it. The um, kind of focus, um, the focus on heaven to the exclusion of the new heaven and the new earth. Um, but we certainly have to, you know, the scriptures speak about this heavenly country Um Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Um, and this would certainly, when we hear the word city get brought up, it almost, in this case, almost just drives us towards the idea of that heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Again, paradise, perfection, um, God's redemption being shown in a place. Um, and that's where they go, they where are we coming out from? We're coming out from sin, and we're heading to a place that's perfect. One at the end in verse uh, verse sixteen, we are pointed to the heavenly city, as you said, and I and I love that language. Um, and one of the that last part says, "Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God." That was really interesting language for me to read and to try to unpack it. Because we usually think of Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we usually talk about ourselves. Are you ashamed of God? Da, 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 da. But here, God says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. Now, that is really fascinating language. What do you think that means for us and for them and for us in our, in our, as Christians? I think it helps us to come to grips with what, again, if the, what do we hear in the scriptures? If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear constantly in the scriptures, these declarations by God about his people, and they're true, 100% true. And that cannot be understated. Uh, it should not be understated. For example, um, again, couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel and do a wedding for my, one of my first confirmants. I mean, when you've been a pastor at a church long enough, you, you confirm a kid and eventually you get to do their wedding. And then hopefully get to do a baptism uh, shortly thereafter and rejoice. And what do we hear in the marriage, right? 
what God has joined together, let man not separate. So when I, when we, when we see a couple joined together as husband and wife, they're actually husband and wife. God joins them together. What do we hear when, when, when the words of forgiveness are spoken to a Christian, they're actually forgiven. So when we hear, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God, it means God is not ashamed of you. God forgives you. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you, and that cannot be taken away. This is the greatest gift of all, the greatest recognition that we can be that we can receive to be called Christians, those who have been redeemed by Christ the crucified. It's just a a wonderful declaration, and we need to constantly be reminded of that, that that means a whole lot. And in a world that tells us all sorts of other stuff, and our identities get jerked around and minimized and all of this, what are we told? God is not ashamed to be called our God. And that's an incredible gift. And I think that is connected to this little little young lady, young lady that comes up to you and says, thank you, Pastor, for baptizing me, is that she is she understands that God's not ashamed of her. I mean, that's just, it just kind of came to my mind as you said that is that's just a small way of her saying, God's not ashamed of me. He loves me. And she just says it in such a beautiful way that um, maybe it's time for all of us to go to the pastor that baptized me, you, and say the same thing. I, I, of course, my dad baptized me, so I'll have to go call him and say that. But um, it, it, that's a really wonderful connection. I love that story you told, and I think that relates to what we're saying here. Yeah. Pastor, I want to touch on that a little bit more after our break. Right sure. now, we are studying Hebrews chapter 11 with Pastor Sam Powell, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org and welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 11 with Pastor Sam Powell. And Pastor, you, you said it so beautifully at the beginning. We can make the connection with God is not ashamed um, of us. And one thing that struck me too, and I don't think there's necessarily a huge connection, but I, I do like when you put all of Scripture together as we speak about, you know, let scripture interpret scripture, and we're able to unveil things that we're not always able to see. In verse 16, it says, for he has prepared for them a city. Okay, so that's, that's pretty cool, because you think about the city, like you said, the heavenly Jerusalem. At the same time, Jesus speaks in John chapter 14, that he has prepared a room for us, I prepare a place for you. And I just think there's, there's a connection there of just saying, um, He's not just prepared a city, but he's prepared a specific place for you. And people, when you when people are ashamed of you, they don't typically prepare a room for you. So I did, I think the gospel connections are absolutely everywhere. So I just wanted to get your last sauce before we move on. Any thoughts on all that? No, you're you're absolutely right. I think it just speaks to, you know, 
what in the baptismal rite, we say this, how are you named? And we're so intentional about that. The name that we're given there is so important. And why? Because look at all the amazing things God does for you. That for you-ness of the gospel that he prepares not just a city, as you said, but a room. And he knows your name because you are his. And he is not ashamed of you. He died for you. He rose for you. He ascended for you. And he's coming back for you. And so this is, and here's another connection as we move forward to verses 17 through 22, is that he then connects us to the saints of old, because we can easily kind of say, you know, I'm here. And you said this before is, but Abraham, you know, I'm at one level, Abraham's another level up, or I'm here. And, but Isaac, he's another level up, you know, or Jacob and so forth. But here he's in essence, taking us as ones that he's not ashamed of. And putting us at the same level as these patriarchs and matriarchs of faith. I mean, that's a that's a powerful thing for us to think about. That he is not saying, "Hey, look at look at Abraham. Make sure you're like him." No, he's taking us and saying, "By faith, you're at equal level. You're at the same place as this guy." Which I believe would have hit these Jewish hearers in a whole crazy different way. Do you want to comment on that, or you want us to read the verses and then comment on that? Let's read the verses. All right, here we go. Seventeen through twenty-two. By faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, this is kind of like going back to Sunday school, learning all the, all the names once again, but he makes a lot of good connections. How would you connect these, uh, these verses to the rest of, of what we've been talking about? Well, you've got it again, starting out, it is these, the author of the book of Hebrews is capitalizing on the great stories of the faith that have been handed down that anyone would know. And in the church, these are just common things that we know, although a few, few more hidden gems in there as well. So by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, you know, we know this story of Abraham and Isaac, and it is told in, in Sunday school lessons. It's told in plays. We know this. By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son. Again, we hear that phrase, had received the promises. What was the promise that he'd have? That he'd have ancestors that would number more than the stars in the sky. And yet, his call there was to offer up his son. And by faith, he did so. And what does it say there? He considered that God was even was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, the way it speaks here, he did receive him back. This beautiful understanding in the Old Testament Again, we try to say, oh, New Testament, Easter, that's when we hear about the resurrection. No, 
Even here, it, it interprets the Old Testament that Abraham offered him up knowing that God could bring him back to life. What a beautiful thing, again, for us to hear that as we go through the, the terrors of this life, the struggles of this life, loss in our families, loss of friends, when we go through those losses, we're confident that those who die in faith will be raised up. And, and the, what are the promises of God that Jesus is coming in again to raise the dead? Um, and then by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Again, you see the blessings given there. We've, we've heard this and he did it by faith. And by faith, what did Jacob do then? He blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And this, this is perhaps, uh, Pastor, my favorite part of this short section. Mm. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, you know, Joseph, the story of Joseph, just incredible. Being thought of as dead um, in Egypt, rising up, going through turmoil and struggle, being a, an instrument of God um, in Egypt. Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Um, he's going, he, you know, we don't think of Joseph as a prophet normally, you know, we don't lump him in, um, with people like Isaiah and Elijah or Elisha and, um, Micah or Nahum or any of them. But what did he do here? He made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. He spoke about something that was going to happen in the future. And he gave them directions. He said, take me with you to the promised land. And that is just such a kind of an incredible little thing to drop in there right at the end of this section that he said, take me with you to the land of the living. Um, and, and that, again, that kind of goes in the face of so much of what we have in our society, which we talk about, you know, bodies don't matter. It's the soul that matters. All these, these just terrible understandings of death and resurrection. Joseph says, hey, when, when this happens, when we get to leave this place, I'm going to be dead and gone. But take my bones with you to the land of the living because that means something. Wow. I was thinking about that too, because it, it, there's, there's a faith there by faith. Joseph did this. He knew that this was not the end and he's speaking just like the connection that he's making of resurrection realities um, with Abraham and Isaac, that there's an understanding that these bones are going to rise and you can't help but not think of Ezekiel 37, you know, the dead value of dry bones. Um, yeah. You're thinking of this wonderful resurrection renewal of, of creation. Like you said with Dr. Gibbs and Dr. Lessing, how it, there's a faith in knowing that uh, we might be strangers now, but there'll be a time that we won't. Um, and, and this, it's just, I, I'm trying to put this all together in my mind as you're speaking, Pastor. Any, any other thoughts on the resurrection talk that's happening in these verses? This, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but as I read the, as I have the opportunity to sit down and reread portions of scripture, I'm often thinking, man, I need to use this at a funeral. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
and and this is one as I go through it, you just hear um, there's so much comfort that we need in the midst of of a sin sick world. That um, you know, you have individuals. Um, I, I chuckle. You know, I I, I experienced this where you have the the polar opposites for funeral planning in your parish. You have the individual that planned everything. They picked all the hymns. They laid out every every scripture verse that they're they're encouraging the pastor to use. And then you have the other person who said, you know, when, when I'm gone, pastor, you deal with it. Um, and and I think about um, the message that you have here in Hebrews to people who are hurting. Um, I didn't preach yesterday. My associate did, and. He had this beautiful sermon um, that really drove home this idea of um, the one thing that we needed and the one thing that Gary needed most of all was faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. And God gave it to him. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith that we need, and again, maybe that's the biggest thing here too, is, you know, I I knew a lot of people, this, this gentleman that we lost, looked up to him as really a spiritual figure in the congregation. And, and I, I certainly remember growing up for you as probably your dad um, mm-hmm. as a pastor, but just thinking of, man, look at those patriarchs in the congregation. Man, I, I'm so impressed by their faith. Well, where did their faith come from? It came from God. It was not through mental exercises. It was not through perfect living in life. That by that faith that they have was given to them by a gracious and loving God. And that's what is true for Abraham and true for Isaac here and true for Jacob. And it was true for Joseph and it's true for you and me. What, a, what an amazing God that we have that gives us everything that we need. I'm reminded of how, like you said, there's this faith that comes from God and he brings it by the Holy Spirit, through the word, through people that came before us. And I, I was, when I was reading this, I looked up, uh, one, my own will for my, for my family, um, but looked at uh, the preamble. And the preamble for a Christian will, and this is my encouragement to listeners to think about what you put in your will as far as proclaiming this faith. I mean, here's Joseph at the end of his life, giving them instructions, bring my bones to the promised land without knowing, without anybody else knowing the full story, but he had hope in that resurrection for in the preamble, that's an ours, but also a very common one is it says, first realizing the uncertainty of this life, I place full confidence and trust in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who promised I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. These are the words for a a preamble. So when you pass away, your children or whoever's in the will are sitting there. This is what the lawyer first reads to you. And that is a great witness, not of yourself, but of the faith that the Lord has given to you and the hope of, once again, resurrection realities as we hear from these verses. Um, any thoughts on that of passing the faith down to the next generation, how powerful those kind of words are? Oh, absolutely. And I, you, you hear this especially with, um, with parents as they approach the end of their earthly lives. 
Um, you know, as a pastor, I've heard, you know, kind of both ends of the spectrum. I've heard parents that, that speak and they're, they, they, they're so pleased that they've seen their children grow up in the life of the church and um, they were raised there and they've remained there. And now their grandchildren or their great grandchildren are, um, faithful young women, um, young men and women in the life of the church. And I think you can attest to the fact that um, you've had those really tough conversations with someone as they're lamenting um, the the falling away of their children or their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren, the the lack of a connection to the local church. And um, when those conversations happen, you see the, the, the necessity of passing on from one generation to the next, the wonderful works of God. Um, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing of how we do it in the church. We do it through, um, you know, we've got grandparents here that they went to school here and their kids went to school here. And they've said, you know, we're long since done with raising our children, but we want to work hard to, to make the school successful so that our grandchildren and then their grandchildren can be here. It can be in the life of the church as we gather together for worship, the passing on of, of, of hymns um, from one generation to the next. Um, it might be a special family hymn. I was just reflecting my, my vicarage supervisor um, retires this weekend. Um, and uh, I was blessed um, to, to learn from him all the um the evening hymns that he held uh, uh, held up so dear um, to his family. And now I know that they have passed that on to their children. Um, I happen to have one of my, my vicarage supervisor had 10 children and one of his daughters is one of our teachers here at Trinity. And I know what she's passed on to her kids and it's from generation to generation. The, the wonderful works of God. Um, So absolutely passing it on um, having it is a wonderful thing. Sharing it with the next generation is the best thing. And as we look at that, I mentioned this beforehand, and I want to hear your thoughts because I think it's very profound on how the author and how he speaks. And we alluded to this yesterday with Pastor David Hines is, okay, so we can get caught into, like you said, you see this great saint that you had the funeral for, and, and you look at them and go, wow, they are a pillar of faith. They are, they're a pillar of, of what I want to be, which is very true. At the same time, if you were to talk to them, they would, I mean, it, based on what you're telling me of this individual, this man, he would say, I am just yet a sinner uh, needing the grace of my Lord Jesus. And, and what God does when he speaks here is he's speaking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and he literally puts us up to their level, or however you want to, however you want to describe it. But but basically, we can't help but think I'm not I'm no Abraham, and God basically says, no, you guys are the same in faith. Why is that so important for us as Christians to realize that we're at the same level? A- a- absolutely. Um, I I was, you know, we speak about those who came before us and who instilled things in us. Um, some of your, some of the listeners here might know the name of Pete Kurowski. 
Um, pastor Pete Kurowski's uh, was my confirmation pastor, pastor for many years, um, blessed that he was my, my mom's pastor and my grandparents' pastor, and he's retired now. Um, when he showed up at my congregation, uh, my home congregation in fourth grade, he started calling all of us saints. Mm. And I'll admit, he, I, we all kind of thought it was pretty weird. Um, he called, you know, he, I was a little fourth grader and he called me St. Sam and he'd call my mom, St. Leslie and my grandma, um, who is with the Lord now call her St. Jean. And we thought, boy, this, he was a green Bay Packers fan too. And this was in Missouri. And we thought, man, this guy is weird. <laughs> I love it. And now he's been retired for several years and we call each, the people from the congregation call each other saints sometimes. It, and and it, it took us a while for it to really sink in, but he taught us and he taught us and he taught us that you're a saint. You're somebody who has been redeemed by Christ the crucified. It's who you are. It's the the name that you have. And, you know, I I, I think I, I can't, I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. I'm not John. Well, no, I'm not. Not everybody's going to know my name in a thousand years like them but I'm as much redeemed by God as they were. They are. Um, some people, I, I, I use the example when I teach on saints with, again, with in catechesis, I say, you know, nobody's going to name a church after my grandma probably, mm. but she's still a saint. Just not as many people know who she was. Um, but she was baptized and redeemed and taken care of and then called to be with him to await the resurrection on the last day. And so you're absolutely right. This, we can, we can, we need to hear again and again, just what God does for each one of us. And so pastor, as we, as we move forward, it's, it's really fun to hear of the saints Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And for him to start everything by faith before he gets to the actions, right? Mm -hmm. so, so to to realize the power of faith coming from God, not our own faith, as if we have, you know, we'll say something like, well, I have faith. And the question is not in our world, do people have faith? The question is, what do they have faith in? And by faith in the coming Messiah, this is what happened. And I think this is important as we read the rest of our verses for us to be able to reflect on um, uh, that, that, that our faith is what bears the fruit, not our faith, excuse me, the faith that the Lord gives to us in Christ bears this fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That the identity of Isaac and Abraham and Moses is starting with faith in the Lord for it says in, in chapter 11, verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So I just, I like how the focus begins with faith and then leads to action, where often we're focused on action and then maybe talk about faith. So I want us to think about that. I want to hear your thoughts as we read the rest of our verses here today. 23 through uh, 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of their firstborn might not touch them. Now, I'll fully admit, and you probably thought this when you're reading this, we're going to end there, verse 28. <laughs> so I apologize. We're kind of we kind of ending on the cliff there a little bit. But I wanted to be able to slowly go through this. And the first thing I want us to think about, now we transfer to Moses. I wanted to ask this, as I alluded to, as we look at everybody, why is it important that we're looking at the faith first before we're looking at the actions? And I think, I think that's a good way for us to start. How would you break that down? Because so often we look at actions and then maybe talk about faith. Why is that important as the author speaks here? Well, faith always has an object. This is not, we don't have a generic faith. We, we, we don't believe in just belief. Our faith trusts in Jesus Christ. Moses' faith was that the Father was going to send a Messiah. And so again, why do we start with why do we start with this and not the person? Because faith has an object and it's rooted and grounded in an amazing promise of God. And for us, the promise is that this savior that came is going to return. And it also, it keeps us away from the brokenness of the person. You know, every person we've named here is a broken sinner. Moses has got a long list of faults. Mm -hmm. Noah had more than a few faults. We all do. And when we speak of the faith that's expressed we and, and shown, we're not speaking of these idyllic people that didn't have struggles because that would be, um, it would be difficult for us to look to them as if they were perfect people. Because we look at them and say, well, I never, I, I, I can't connect with them. How can, how can I be compared? How can I measure up whatever it is? Look at that person over there. They're just perfect. And it would drive us to despair. Um, but we focus on the faith. And we realize then we look, look at the faith that this person had, the trust that they had. And wow, look what God did through them. Somebody like Moses, who had a list of faults a mile long, or Noah, or Abraham, any one of them. Look how God gave them faith, the faith that they needed, the one thing needful, and then used and worked with them. So we start with that core faith, faith that trusts in the Messiah. And then we see the person that has that faith, and they're, they're a broken person like you and me. And then we, see, then we get to see the story. What did God do with them? The actions. So today, as we look at Moses, he turns our attention to Moses. And what's interesting to me in verse 23 is that he starts, um, he speaks about Moses' faith 
but he also speaks of his, am I, am I right in this? He's speaking about his family's faith. Yeah. He was for three months. And, and so once again, that goes back to our talk on passing down the faith, but I found it interesting that it wasn't just Moses, but it was his family as well. Um, so any, any thoughts on that or other parts in these last verses that we have? Well, what was their faith in? Their faith was in the promise that God made to the people of Israel. And because of their trust, what, I mean, what should have happened to Moses? He should have been dead. Mm. I mean, in fact, they're, they're in the, in Egypt, they're in, um, you know, if we compare Egypt to the promised land, you have a place of death and a place of life. And, and we really do see that contrast then throughout this, even this small section here, you know, you see the, the, the alternatives, there's death and there's life. There's the Passover mm. so that the destroyer death would not touch them. You see this contrast between the two. And so, yes, their, their trust in the promise gave life. And it's, it's really fascinating to hear the basics of these stories in my mind. We have about th three minutes left here, Pastor, because, you know, he could have easily done, um, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And he could have easily said, but they all messed it up. You know, Jacob, Esau, you know, they lied, this, I, that happened. And he really is running down the, the afterwards um, reality of faith. Faith is not us looking at all the false people made, but it always points us back to the Lord, not upon the actions of saying, look how great they are and everything they did. No, like you said so well, they're broken sinners. And so this faith is in the Messiah, in the Lord Yahweh, in him to do the work. And it's beautifully written here, not by going down the list of all the faults, but going through the actions of faith. Pastor, we have about two minutes left. How would you pull our verses together today that talks about faith and what that means for us? I think um, you started it really well there. You know, we see the, these final verses. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. And I, that's an understatement there by the author of the book of Hebrews. Um, not being afraid of the anger of the king. This is Pharaoh. Yeah, right. This is one of the most powerful rulers in the entire world with an army that is virtually unmatched. Not being afraid, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And see, what, what's the connection there? The fact that Moses had a connection, an opportunity to stand in the presence of God who am I supposed to say sent me? What, what do we hear from the burning bush? I am sent you. Um, this the pre-incarnate Christ. Who are we looking? Who are we thinking about here? Jesus. That he has he got to see. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. This pre-incarnate Christ. These blessings of God. So what's his faith? His faith is rooted and grounded in the Messiah. And so by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It's, got, it's a harsh verse to end on. Like you said, it's kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger here. But what a promise. What a testament to what God does. The Passover happened. 
the destroyer of the firstborn did not touch the children of Israel. Why? Because of the blood. What does the blood point us forward to? The once for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's it's a it's a it's helping us to look forward for what is to come. And it's what we put our our trust and our hope and our faith in. Pastor Sam Powell of Trinity Lutheran Church in Jefferson City, Missouri, given us God's strong word from Hebrews chapter 11. Pastor Powell, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, faith in the promised Messiah is everything. It is our Lord bringing us to the same level of the patriarchs. But the faith is not something we have on our own, but it is faith in Christ. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. The same promises for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses is the Messiah that saves you. To him be all the glory. And I pray that we do the same thing that this little girl does, Pastor Powell. Thank you, Pastor, for baptizing me, which is saying the Lord is not ashamed of you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.